strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hey, this is Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. I'm Jen. And tonight we are talking about the dark underworld of the Paris catacombs. So beneath Paris's city streets, there is something referred to as the Emperor of Death. I said that weird. <laughs> Just start over. <laughs> Do it all over. Hi, this is Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. I'm Jen. And today we're going to talk about the dark underworld of the Paris catacombs. So beneath the Paris streets, there is something referred to as the Empire of Death. More than 200 miles of tunnels are beneath the City of Lights since around the 13th century. And some of these tunnels are lined floor to ceiling with skulls and bones. So as Paris grew into its role as a major European hub, it ran into a very big problem. So by the 17th century, there were so many people in Paris, both living and dead, that cemeteries were overflowing and overstuffed with graves to the point that they were actually becoming uncovered and just decomposing right in front of everybody. So people living close to these cemeteries started to complain about the strong stench of decomposing flesh. I was like, can you just, oh, so gross. So um, as well as... That um, certainly brings down the property value. <laughs> exactly, right? But um, not only did the smell, but there was such a large spread of diseases, the increase of bugs and rodents. I mean, you uh, just, the entire air was completely destroyed. It was so bad that a lot of people that had um, shops in the area, including perfume shops, they couldn't sell their perfume because no one would actually go to the area. Can you can you just... All right, so imagine the stench being so bad that not even Sephora can cover the smell. And you know how stinky Sephora is. I mean, I I walk by Sephora. You can't, can't even go inside Sephora. For two days. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm like completely destroyed after syphilis. Did you just say you're destroyed after syphilis? Yes. Yeah, syphilis. No, after Sephora. <laughs> it sounded like syphilis. It, I swear to you. So by the 18th century... There was uh, the largest cemetery in Paris. It was called Les Innocents. Um, yeah, a lot of French words are going to be said today. I'm going to butcher all of them. You mean you're not, you're not um, French? My grandmother was, but... Okay, I mean, so let's like so, a quarter. So quarter? Okay, maybe? sure. We'll call you part French. So Les Innocents, it was like the giant cemetery in Paris. Had It became so overpopulated that Louis XV banned all burials from the capital. The churches, though, however, they did not want to disturb or move any of the cemeteries. Louis Louis XV just kept on pushing no more burials. He doesn't want any more of the people in the town to be suffering from all this awful stench, disease. His entire town was falling apart. Seems reasonable. Yeah, but what do you do with everyone then? It's, it's <laughs> You're not going to have any more burials. And I'm surprised that cremation wasn't really a big thing or a thought at that point. Is it just because everyone believed that cremation was against the church, so they decided to just... I don't think so. I don't think it's ever been a thing with the Catholic Church, but hey, I don't really know. Maybe they just all wanted their headstones. I mean, a nice headstone is very lovely. I mean, who doesn't love a cemetery with a nice, ornate headstone? You know, they want their little angels that say, like, forever with you, forever with Jesus. Forever with Jesus. Louis XVI, though, Louis XV's successor, continu- like he continued with the crusade about always proclaiming that the cemetery should be moved outside of Paris, but yet still nothing was ever done. Around 1780, there was a very long period of spring rain, and that caused the wall around Les Innocents to collapse, resulting in all the rotting bug corpses to fall into the neighboring properties. I can't. So now... I just can't. It, I, it was like... It's it was, like, it's like the... 
worst like night of the living dead it's just a mudslide disgusting of dead corpses just and like in your yard and like you have to imagine the ones that were doing the sliding had to be the ones that were closer to the top you know Mm -hmm. the freshly decomposing ones and because like i mean a a rogue bone here and there i'm not too upset about but like no this is we're talking like this bloated like rotting yes like corpses yeah it's it was full flip inside that's tough so did they do something from there well no well finally the french like they're like okay we're we're gonna take action now we're gonna we're gonna the church was finally like all right i guess fine i don't really think that they the church even had a a say at this point (laughs) they're like and we we went for your wishes we were doing what you wanted we were just everything hanging out whatever but now things have become an issue so let's work on that so it took about two years for all the bones from the cemetery, just that one cemetery, two years, to be transferred to the tunnels that were underneath Paris. And these tunnels are referred to as the catacombs. And catacombs is funny because catacombs is from a Latin word, and I think the pronunciation is uh, catacombas. Sure. And basically it just means among the tombs or underground burial place. All right. Over the following decade... She's dying. She's a small death over there. We're going to have to put her in the catacombs. She's choking to death on wine. By the way, tonight we are drinking... Uh, I put a bottle somewhere. Jay. It is J Pinot Noir. Go ahead. So the practice of burying the newly dead directly into the catacombs began after the French Revolution. So between the, like before the French Revolution, all of the cemeteries in Paris removed the dead and brought them to these catacombs. Uh, it was it was only in about eight, 1859 that the final transfer of bones was undertaken during the renovation of Paris. And uh, the renovation was done by George Eugene Haussmann. And I'm not sure if anyone really knows who he is. I thought it was very fascinating when I was looking him up. He is based, well, he's a baron. So he became Baron Haussmann, but he was a native in Paris, born and died. He was 81 years old when he passed away. And he was a French civil servant. So uh, George Eugene Haussmann, he was an administrator responsible for the transformation of Paris from its ancient character to the one that is still largely preserved today. The town planner, basically. He had a he had a great influence on all the cities all over the world. He embarked on an enormous program of public works, setting the president for urban planning in the 20th century. He uh, he was the one who decided to cut. Uh, the streets wider, straight, tree-lined avenues through the chaotic mass of the small streets of Paris. I've never been to Paris, but I've seen those pictures. Yeah. It looks beautiful. He was the one who created all of that. He connected the train terminals, making rapid and easy movement across the city. This promoted industrialization as well by enabling the goods and services to be transported efficiently. He also created new systems of water supply and drainage, which helped remove the, the source of the foul odors. The smells were finally... The, su- the sewage? Yeah. Once again. He finally did something with the it. The poop? With, again, with the poop. And it's funny, because all of these things happened during his lifespan, and he was born in 1809 and died in 1891. So all of these things happened in the late 1800s. That's quite old but, for that time period. I know. But maybe because he My was doing My man was doing so push-ups. <laughs> so he, was, uh, he also opened up parks. He increased the number of streetlights and sidewalks, and he just made so many changes... And some of these changes actually were requested from Napoleon III, but Haussmann kind of went on his own path, and he did an, exce- like, an amazing work modernizing the plans for to make Paris what it is today. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Hey, man, we're here to learn. Absolutely. 
Teach so, me, Robin. <laughs> All right. So seven years after the catacombs were finally opened publicly, and that was in about 1860. 1860 was actually the last time a newly buried or new, new burial, they say, was actually put in the catacombs in 1860. Hmm. After that, that was it. No other burials happened in the catacombs. Did they reopen the cemeteries? Yes, eventually okay. they did. Eventually they found other ways to... Or maybe they just built cemeteries on the outskirts of the city. Well, also, maybe. now they have empty cemeteries because they're most everybody. True. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to think about how many years it took to fill the first one. Right? Well, yeah, the first one. It goes back, it had bones like for like 1,200 years old yeah. at that point. I mean, mm. France is a very old place. Uh, seven years later, after the catacombs were opened to the public, finally, the total distance of these catacombs ran about 186 miles, and they're all maze-like. In order to not disturb the locals, the bodies were transferred in the dead of night, hidden under dark clothes, on the back of carts. And as they passed through the darkened streets, priests would chant for the morbid cargo. Thank God they did it discreetly because, I mean, the people had been through enough. I mean, when the rotting corpses are falling into the street, it's like a bit of discretion yeah. is, is probably warranted for this affair. Yeah. Like, I, I just think. keep thinking of the, like, holy grail. Bring out your dead. Yeah. Bring out your dead. <laughs> Walking around the carts. Bring, Bring out your dead. dead. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pie, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting, if they have kids, what shapes their marriages, if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. So overall, it took about 12 years, and there was an estimated count of about six to seven million bones in the catacombs. So how many bones are in the human body? Uh, 206. 206 bones in the human body. Uh, do math, do math. It's a lot. Subtract three. Carry the one. 300,000. Around 300,000, I think. Yeah. Sure. That sounds about right. Maybe. S some of the oldest bones actually date back to the Moronian era, which is about like 1,200 years ago. And what's interesting about that is if you ever read about that kind of era, the dynasty, it happened in 476 AD. And it was traditionally reckoned as the first race. And it was when the kings of France actually started to become like adapted. Kings of France during this era, it was actually a battle between two brothers, and they're called the Franks brothers. And that started the entire thing with... Is that what the name France came from? from Frank? Like Franck Brothers? Maybe. Was it F-A-R-N-C? No, it was with the K. Oh, uh, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, when the newly dead started to be buried directly in the catacombs, there were known to be some famous uh, people from history who uh, called the catacombs their final resting place. These people include Jean-Paul Marat, and he was one of the revolution's most radical voices, and Maximilian 
Robespierre. <laughs> Very good. I don't think the French roll their R's, <laughs> but I'm going so. with it. Robespierre, an influential figure during both the revolution and the reign of terror. He was the one that I read about. I read a significant amount about him, and he was maybe a little bit of a dick. He seemed like he was cool because he was all about the people. But then once he got the power, he became like a total D-bag. And he was like the king of the guillotine. But guess how the man died? The guillotine. There you go. I also looked up some people, uh, famous people that were buried there. Cool. If you're interested. Yeah. Uh, Charles Perrault, uh, who wrote Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, and Puss in Boots. Get out. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That was the one that I really like latched on to because I was like, I don't think I ever really thought that those actually had an author. And I don't think I don't think that they're actually labeled like that because they're only labeled by the cemetery they they came from. And then they're like arranged. Yeah. Yeah. Like a really decorative way. mm -hmm, Yeah. And every decoration is based on something like some people that was their job is to make decorative crosses or figures, whatever it was. And there's there's a lot of people that actually have their own sculptures down nice, in the catacombs nice. but the, it, but what was funny is that like the reign of terror that was the first time i ever heard of the reign of terror have you ever heard that before i have because i took a lot of political science classes in college so it was after the french revolution the people that took over were not the nicest of people yeah they said that there was a period of remorseless repression and bloodshed yeah pretty I'm much like, anyone who was against in a war them, kind of calm down pretty much anyone who was against them before they took over they just decided that they were going to do away with them mm. so people became very fearful if they had had the wrong kind of leanings prior to the takeover that they were going to be um executed and it was incredibly bloody it was actually run antoine lavoisier and uh george george danton um, were the three people and they had like their own fallings out but they were all they're all actually in the catacombs and they were all killed in the guillotine that was the bit i looked up and then i looked up another little catacombs fun fact oh love fun facts catacomb fun fact number one the area of paris was once covered by tropical sea and had intense deposits that's where the intense deposits of limestone came from yeah exactly what the catacombs are, are, are used yes. for mm-hmm. and that limestone was used to build Notre Dame and the Louvre. I didn't know Notre Dame. I know the Louvre. Did not know the Notre Dame. That's all I got, though, for the catacombs. Wow. Otherwise, teach me, girl. <laughs> I have, like, well, three fun it, facts. You know, there's not much left after that because there's a tunnel and there's bones. So let's let's just uh, get about... I know there's like 180 steps on the tour because if you have problems breathing, you're yeah, not supposed they, to go on the tour. Yeah, they tell you, you know, if you're claustrophobic, if you have any heart conditions... If you have any panic attacks um, during any type of smells, like just a whole bunch of different things that they're imagine like, it's oh. a bit dusty. It's it's not. It's actually very wet. Hmm. It's wet. Oh, because I guess it's underground, so it's sort of cave-like. And almost. it's always like it, they say it's fourteen degrees Celsius, which I think I don't know, forty-seven, fifty degrees. Yeah, Fahrenheit. I think that's like near fifty. Yeah, yeah. Something, something like that. You know metrics but yeah so um these all these catacombs were actually limestone quarries and they were situated outside the outskirts of the city this natural resource has been in use since the time of the romans and it provided construction material for the city's buildings and it also contributed to the city's growth and expansion but these mines were eventually shut down if i went to paris i would absolutely go to the catacombs oh absolutely i would drink it in yeah i would take my anxiety and panic attacks and i would go right down those 180 (laughs) stairs and i would take my xanax and i would pull on my big girl pants and I would look at those beautifully decorated bones yeah the other thing did you read anything about the catacomb files 
No. The people who sneak into the catacombs. Oh, yeah. Cataphiles. Yeah. Cataphiles. Oh, cataphiles. Yeah. <laughs> catacombs in Paris, though, they're not... It's The ones in Paris are not the only ones around, though. Think about it. There are so many different countries out there that have the same kind of thing. So everyone's like, oh, this is so weird. It's so like, awkward. What countries have it? So in medieval Europe, it was, a common, it was common to dig up bones and store them in charnel houses and in order to make uh, space in the cemeteries for more corpses. And you can actually find these pile of, of bones in Wamba Ulcery in northern Spain's Church of Santa Maria. And in the 16th century, Capella dos Ossos in a Portuguese town of Evora near Lisbon. It actually has 5,000 individuals that were thought to be war victims or plague victims, but they are decorative embedded in the chapel walls in the church of, uh, in Evora. So I have to cool. go to Europe. I know. <laughs> I you know. know I've I mean, like, I, I own two human toe bones. Mm-hmm. They live in my cabin of curiosities. And I love I love bones so much. And you also have a skull that was donated in your name at the murder museum. I know. Drago and Valdemir. Yeah. <laughs> awesome name. <laughs> I know. Just call me that from now on, Drago and Valdemir. So, um, excuse me, Miss Valdemir. It's so it so wants to be Valdemar, but it's not, and that's what I like about it. So, um, tourism today, right? So the catacombs is a huge thing now. And you go to Paris, um, it's it's a very very popular thing to do, and it's only been open. Like, not that long. It's actually been illegal. I think, like, 1955 was when it finally was like, hey, okay, we can have, we can actually pay people to look at this stuff. But today, a little more than a mile of the catacombs is open for the visitors, and it takes about 45 minutes to walk through. As people walk through the doorway, there's a sign above them, and I'm going to totally butcher this say, but it's like a full sentence in French, so bear with me. Come on, you're a quarter French. I believe in you. <laughs> so it's, Arit, sieste ici el empire de la mort. Uh, you are now entering the Empire of the Dead. Stop. This is the Emperor of Death. Oh, I'm so close. Yeah. It, but so it's close. This, but it's like, stop. This is the Empire of Death. Yeah. So close. The bones are grouped based on the cemetery they came from, like I said before, and some are neatly stacked along the corridors. Others are arranged in patterns, creating crosses and other images. Visitors also see sculptures in the Port Mahan Corridor, which was created by a quarryman and a veteran of Louis XV's army. And it was, uh, it was years before the bodies were even moved in. The man sculptured this as a model of the fortress. And the fortress, of course, of Port Mahan is a large island town where the creator was believed to be held prisoner by the English during the Seven Years' War. I saw that picture, and it made me think of that, like, tiny town in Constantinople. <laughs> yeah. Or not, what's the name of, it's not Istanbul. Constant. Istanbul. <laughs> I just, the tiny town of Istanbul. So, um, yeah, so this guy was apparently a prisoner for the English during the Seven Years' War. And so he decided to take all these bones and make this glorious monument of his time there and kind of be like, hey, it's a big fuck you. I kind of like it. Here it is. (laughs) Hey, man. Enjoy. So along with the catacombs, there um, there are so many other tunnels. If you think about it, there's 200 miles of tunnels underneath Paris. 186 of them are the catacombs. 186 miles. Yeah. Okay. So so there's 14 miles of not catacombs. No, but they're also, they're used for something else. So apparently they're used as canals, reservoirs, prisons, crypts, bank vaults, and even wine cellars. I mean, I think it would be perfect for a wine cellar. I'm a little curious about it being used as a prison currently. I'm hoping that's state run and is sanitary because I feel like it'd be difficult to run plumbing underground. Yeah. In the catacombs, in the limestone cave. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Never know. If you came here 
to like write your book report, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> I just said it was it was used as prisons, but my uh, my interest is more in the wine cellar. And it's kind of like, oh, Robin, can you go downstairs and grab the Pinot Noir? If you go towards the cat, if you see a giant cross made out of skulls and bones, you've gone too far. Back Turn up. around, go back, and it's the second door on your left. Thank you. There you go. So nowadays, there's actually a group that you, uh, we were talking about before, the cataphiles. And they like to explore the passages under Paris in their own way. They, they, they're mainly young rebellion kids, right? And they don't really take into the fact that it's illegal to go. I imagine they're hipsters from Brooklyn in Paris. I imagine they smoke a lot of cigarettes. And they wear flip-flops that match the color of their shorts. And they were speedos. So apparently these tunnels without official guidance since 1955 has been illegal. So these kids are just like going crazy. They're like, we can figure this out. But it wasn't that difficult for them, though, these cataphiles, because up until the 1980s, it was possible to enter the tunnels from a number of different points, including small doorways and schools. Some schools had direct access to the catacombs in their basement by like the boiler room best day of school ever i know imagine i mean that's a good best day if ever i want to say anything so like so today though many of those are closed off and the cataphiles are started to come up with more cunning and inventive ways to break in a lot of them unfortunately are like they have ropes and blow torches and stuff like that to break down these these doorways so right there i'm kind of a little pissed off because now they're ruining the walls of these beautiful well, they're not, things they're probably not ruining the walls of those things they're probably ruining the iron doors that the government has put over them because they don't want people in there I don't, do you know what i mean like i, I imagine I, them putting up like a wrought iron gate over the doors that used to be there to be opened mm-hmm. and they're just using those blue torches to probably like get through those doors i mean like i don't know they've been there a long time yeah it's, it's kind of disgusting sure they're brittle i get it but like at the same time like it's six million bones and you know not all of us are terrified of cemeteries some of us find it beautiful and i would love to go down there and like just meditate listen to music watch a movie like i would be beside myself to be able to be in that space i'm not gonna be like oh like it's exactly i wouldn't be sweaty which i'm always sweaty Mm -hmm. so are you we are sweaty ladies i just i just see a chair my headphones, if they get some like good reception down there, that'd be great. Hopefully, there's nice Wi-Fi. Probably not going to get Wi-Fi. <laughs> I think um, you're probably going to have to download your podcasts before you go on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's Robin, fine. it's bad form to listen to your own podcast. Well, you know what? I'm going to have to. You're going to listen to your own catacombs podcast in the catacombs. in the catacombs and wearing a catacombs shirt with a hat. Probably wearing some type of catacombs. The most tourist yeah. person of I'm all time. Do it. I'm going to do it. So what's funny is that last year, actually, I read an article last year that a 16 and a 7-year-old, 17-year-old, were rescued from the catacombs after being lost for three days. That was, so when I was reading about the cataphiles. Is that me? (laughs) Did I I go off tour and get lost and lived in catacombs for three days? You actually have traveled forward in time Mm -hmm. from when you were 16 to your own present future, but you're still 16 years old. You got stuck in the catacombs and then you went back in time to the early 90s and now you're here talking about the catacombs you should have more information about the catacombs if you were stuck there for three days i can't i'm just saying uh, i couldn't all it was dark there was no communication or when they sent you back in time did they erase your mind oh you don't know so i'm just assuming that a door was open or or they were able to get through the door they it seems like people have ways to get in and out of there 
if I ever went to Paris, I would totally put like an Instagram or a Twitter up and try to find some of the cataphiles to take me in because they've got their ways, girl. I know, you know, I they've know. got their ways. Thing is, though, is that they're really, str- they're, they're very like straight up artist collectives that go down there and paint and shit. Oy. Yeah, like they go down there and they paint and they like hang out. And there's like, there was like a pop up restaurant inside there. I would totally eat in the catacombs. Oh, yeah. Totally. I can, I can, I'm down for a croissant. So, um, but the funny thing is that people don't even know how it was even brought up to the attention that, oh, these two children are missing. They have to be in the catacombs. They have to be. There's nowhere else these kids would be other than the catacombs. Maybe they're just kid creeps. Maybe maybe someone knew something. Maybe someone Like one of their parents is like, Jesus, he's probably in the fucking catacombs. Yeah. Or like a third kid was holding the door open and it slipped out of his hand and he closed it on them. He's like, finally oh. gave it up when they and didn't they're like anonymously called like, hey, I think two kids are stuck in the catacombs. Bye. And like, maybe it was underneath their school. Three of them went in. Only one came out. And then he didn't want to tell because he didn't want to get in trouble. And then he told after the cops started asking questions because they were missing. And then it was like a thing. They'd be like, oh, he Three was the last days. one. You said that there were reservoirs, so hopefully they found some water. And the you can live without food like, for a long time. Oh, I know that. I know that. I just, it's just 186 miles of just a maze. It's not direct in and out. There's up and down and sideways and just all over the place. And these kids, fucking stupid, <laughs> get lost in the catacombs. Dogs found them. You know what they weren't? Dogs found them. Boy Scouts. Oh. They were Boy Scouts. They'd have a compass. Have a compass. They have a flint to make some type of fire. I'll have some snacks on my backpack. I always have like wet naps too in case I have to do some business. Because that's the concern when you're lost amongst the bones. You know. A clean bottom. If I'm found, I want to be found in a good state. You know, my mother always said, always clean underwear and always your eyebrows on because you never know who you're going to run into. So there was like, yeah, so there was actually no clear understanding on who exactly raised the alarm for these missing kids or why or how they got lost. But they found them and everything was fine. They went to the hospital from dehydration, all this fun stuff. But now security is upped this ante a little bit. And so it's a little bit difficult because when you enter the catacombs at the entrance that you're supposed to, the legal entrance... There's only really one in and one out. Like, there's no other. There's well, the, always no, there's an, exit. an entrance and an exit because I read that there's a certain amount of stairs down, but there's fewer going up. Yeah. And it broke my brain <laughs> and I had to think about it for like 15 minutes. But once you get deep into it, there's no way. There's no like neon exit sign that shows the way. That those are the only two places yeah. that you can this actually wine is good. From. I know. It's really good. So, the candy man, when you buy a bottle of wine, it's over $10. If any of you are listening and you're cataphiles, please send us an email. Ooh, yes, absolutely. Tag us in your Instagram post. We would love to see pictures of the things that you do in the catacombs. And how you get in there? D- d- is it a dolly? Do you, you can have tell us rope? your secrets. We will not tell them. No. So that was the catacombs. Hope you enjoy this little snippet of information. I found all of this information on um, so different websites. There is the History Channel, of course. Um, there was History.com. There is the Smithsonian.com. And the Catacombs itself has a great website. And that also has a whole bunch of different information for tourism. So if you are ever going to go to Paris and this is something that you want to do, go ahead and check that out. All right. And that's the story of the Catacombs of Paris. Just another notorious narrative. Have a show idea? Send it on over to us along with any questions, comments, or corrections to NotoriousNarratives at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram at NotoriousNarratives and Twitter at NotoriousTales. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Every review helps other listeners to find us. Thanks so much.